Happy New Year, everyone. So a pastor on Thursday texted me and said um, he doesn't want to tell me what to preach on, but he does want to focus on a mission-minded church this first quarter. And I just didn't see the state of the dead fitting in with that, so I had to make some adjustments. But the Thursday was the 19th of December, so I had a fair amount of time to readjust. Um, now, it being New Year, how many of you have started to read through the Bible? Just by show of hands? Yep, yep. There are a few. Perhaps too few. Yeah, if you just do four chapters a day, you can read through the Bible in one year. It's very easy. Just four chapters a day. Uh, I'm doubling up. I'm doing eight a day because I want to read it in both English and Afrikaans, my native language. So uh, I want to encourage you to please continue. It is the you know, start of the year. It's a good time. So those of you who have missed maybe the first four days, you can just, you know, on an off day, read a bit more and catch up. So it's not a disaster. You're all encouraged to start. So please do read through the Bible. Uh, now, the church last year launched the campaign, uh, It Starts With Me. And, um, you know, we handed out these lovely towels, which I do use because I perspire quite a lot here in this climate. And the backpack is quite handy for carrying my towels around. Um, so I do apologize in case, you know, I return to my normal state which is uh, well hydrated on the outside. Um, but I do have my towel here, really. But, you know, this towel is not for that, actually. It's to remind you that it starts with me. And obviously, it can't start with you if, it, if you don't start. Do you, do you get it? It starts with you, but it can't start with you if you don't start, right? Okay? So much like reading through the Bible, uh, you're never going to start reading through the Bible until you start. And that's how it starts with you, is by starting. I don't know if you caught the emphasis there. Now, uh, today's sermon has its origins in a Sabbath school program. Uh, the Sabbath school superintendents were running a bit low on creativity, on how to open a Sabbath school session. And I proposed, why don't we do, you know, there are 13 Sabbaths, so why don't we do 12 Sabbaths on the 12 disciples, and then the 13th Sabbath we can either do something on Jesus or a summary. Um, so everyone liked my proposal. But, you know, I had read through the Bible before, so I knew, you know, when it comes to the 12 disciples, you don't want Peter or John. I mean, John wrote five books. You're never going to fit that into a Sabbath school program, superintendent program. Uh, Peter can also be a bit heavy. Uh, but you also don't want to be left with the Thaddeus and the Lebius and, you know, these guys who only mention. You know, it's just that one name, that one time, and never again. So I was quick to jump on Andrew. You know, Andrew, for me, had the right balance. So that's where it all started. Now, today's sermon is inspired by that Sabbath school superintendent program. So let's get into Andrew, Andrew the man. Andrew is mentioned 13 times in the original Greek text of the Bible. Uh, it's spread across 12 verses, so we don't have a whole lot to read today. Now, uh, I, th I was a bit ambitious initially and thought we'll read all 13 relevant passages, but actually we're not going to do that because some of them repeat. But I have tried to organize them in a chronological order. So first, what does Andrew mean? What is the etymology of the name Andrew? The Greek is Andreas, and it derives from aner, which is man. So Andrew implies being manly, being brave. Now, how many of the men here like to be called the man? Andrew literally was called the man. 
but maybe Andrew was just being called the man. You know, he's just a guy. He's just a man. But also this word man, aner, in the Greek, it can imply mankind. It can also mean a married man. You know, this man is so generic, it's just about everything. It's, 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 it's mankind, it is man, but it can also be the husband. So Andrew, he's a member of mankind, he's a male, he's a husband, he's just, a, you know, he's just Andrew. He's a man, he's just another guy, there's nothing special, he is just Andrew. So, John 1, which was our scripture reading. It's not technically the first time Andrew is mentioned in the Bible, but this verse contains important information on where Andrew originated from. It tells us that Philip was of Bethsaida. And why is this important? Because Bethsaida was the city of Andrew and Peter. So where is Andrew from? Bethsaida. Now what does Bethsaida mean? Beth in the Bible means house. House. Beth means house. Saida comes from Tsayed, which means to catch and by implication, it means to catch fish. So they're coming from the house of fishermen. Andrew is from the house of fishermen, and you can see it there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, Bethsaida. Andrew is an ordinary man. He's just a humble fisherman. He makes a living catching fish. That's old Andrew, you know. He's just an ordinary guy, Andrew. Now, uh, we'll review Andrew through seven phases. We'll start first with the invitation of Andrew. Then we'll go to the calling of Andrew. Then we'll progress on to the passive ministry of Andrew, which then turns into the active ministry of Andrew. Then we'll focus on the end times message and Andrew. Then we'll speak about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Andrew. And then we'll look at the legacy of Andrew. Just a normal fisherman from the house of fishermen. So let's start. Andrew, the invitation. We read in John 1, verse 35 to 42, that Jesus invites his disciples. So starting in verse 35, again the next day after this, John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master, where dwellest thou? And Jesus said unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and they abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then he first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. So who is Andrew? He's a humble fisherman from the village of the fishermen, but he's a seeker. Andrew, while being a fisherman, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew then becomes one of Jesus' first disciples. Andrew spends time with Jesus. He came and saw where Jesus dwelt. He got to know Jesus. How much time did he spend with Jesus? From the 10th hour till about the end of the day is only two hours, the 12th hour. In the space of two hours, Andrew is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And what does Andrew do? He fetches his brother and he brings him to Jesus. 
Now, it's such a simple invitation when Jesus said, come and see. The evidence will be self-evident. You just come and see. But you know what? This invitation is only extended to someone who is seeking. You know, someone who has made a start. It starts with me. You've got to make that start. The invitation is so simple, come and see, but it is only extended and it can only be accepted by someone who is seeking. Why else would you come and see? You have to be a seeker. Now, Andrew is just a simple man. He's a humble fisherman, but he heard the plain truth proclaimed by John the Baptist. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he wanted to know more. And Jesus invited Andrew with the simple words, come and see. And the question for us today how many of us sit, sitting here in the church today, how many of us are seeking? Are we seeking? Are we really seeking? Or are we passing time? And how would you respond to the invitation to come and see? Do you really want to see Jesus? Do you desire to see Jesus? And here we see how Andrew goes from being a seeker to being an introducer. If you were to respond... When Jesus says, come and see, how would you respond to that? By bringing your loved ones. Andrew brought his brother, Peter, to come and see Jesus. He went from a seeker to an introducer. And we'll see this is a theme with Andrew. He's always bringing people to Jesus. Now we progress to Andrew the calling. He goes from the seeker, the invitation, to the calling. Here in Matthew 4, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brethren, Simon, and, uh, also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now there's another version recorded for us in Mark 1, 16-18. Now, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Now, here we have the calling. But we read earlier in John that Jesus said, Come and see, and then Andrew brought Peter. So what was actually the calling? Was the invitation the calling? Or is this, uh, this uh, experience described here in Matthew and Mark, was this the actual calling? There seems to be an inconsistency between the Gospels of John, Luke, and Mark, and Matthew. And Luke doesn't even mention Andrew, which is why we didn't read it. But to explain this inconsistency, we have to understand that at the time in John, John the Baptist was still free and about, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. But when we reach this section in Mark, we read that John was put in prison. So these are two different instances. The first was the invitation early on. And Andrew got to experience Jesus Christ. And he was on a progression somewhere. The Lord didn't just show up one day and say, Okay, leave everything, leave your fisherman life, leave everything and come and follow me. The Lord first invited him to come and see, and then a while later, the Lord approached him. And then he called him to be a disciple. Now, what would make a man who's a humble fisherman, who's just catching fish for a living, 
ready to forsake all and follow Jesus. You know, the Lord is not unfair. The Lord gave him that time to grow in faith, to be ready to respond to this calling. But Luke, even though Luke does not mention Andrew, Luke describes the event that gave Andrew the faith and the confidence to forsake all and follow Jesus Christ. Now we can read of this event in Luke 5. Luke 5 verses uh, 1 to 11. And what this describes is the miracle of catching the fish. When the Lord showed up and he said to Simon and Peter, cast your nets. And they cast in their nets and they almost could not bring in all the fish that they caught. And this was a miracle because the whole night they had spent out on the sea and they could not catch anything. And this is how the Lord is fair. He first invites Andrew to come and see. Then he allows Andrew to grow in faith. But then the Lord comes and shows this evidence with this miracle that he is the Messiah. And then, and then Andrew is ready to forsake all and follow Jesus Christ. People, we need to understand that the calling in our lives is not an instantaneous thing. It's a linear progression. We have to start. We have to start. But the Lord is not unfair. He does not ask more than we can surrender. But we have to make that start and be on a journey towards the Lord. And you know what? The more you invest in that journey, the greater the revelation to build your faith, to prepare you for that day when the Lord says, leave, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not an instantaneous thing. It starts first by a proclamation by John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God. Then it is an invitation, come and see. And then it is a selection by Jesus, follow me. This was a progression. The calling, come and see, became follow me. A slow but steady progression in spiritual growth. Andrew was working for physical nourishment, but Andrew was seeking spiritual nourishment. Andrew was ready over time to sacrifice the physical security once he found assurance and spiritual security through faith in Jesus Christ. And this should give hope to regular people like you and me. We may be too scared to take that leap of faith. We keep seeking. We must keep seeking. We must come and see. We must see the goodness of the Lord. And then we too will grow in faith to answer that call, follow me. Now we progress on to Andrew, the passive ministry. We read in Mark 1, verse 29 to 34. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they were in the house of Simon and Andrew. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell Jesus of her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto Jesus all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And Jesus healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. The passive ministry, brothers and sisters, is very simple. The passive ministry starts by sharing. Andrew is a humble man. He has few possessions, but he shared what he had. All were welcomed to his house. All the sick and diseased were brought to his house. And in such humble circumstances, Jesus worked miracles. 
We don't need to have it all. We just need to share what little we have, our little space, with others for them to have an experience with Jesus. And here I just want to say, if you're not sure where to start, just start by sharing. You know, what can we share? We can share our time. We can share a meal. We can share our little house, maybe for a small group setting. But if it's going to start with me, I have to start. And, you know, Andrew started by just sharing what he had. And he didn't have much. But the Lord could bless what he shared. Do you agree? It's very quiet. Maybe now that we reach the active ministry, you'll become more active in affirmation as well. So then in Matthew 10, verses 1 to 4, we read that when Jesus had called his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And Mark 3:14 adds specifically that Jesus ordained the 12 that he might send them forth to preach. That's very important. They weren't just going to be a, uh, a first aid or a red cross going around and just healing people. They were being sent forth to preach. They were ordained. And the names of the 12 apostles are these, Simon, uh, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And there's the whole list of the 12 disciples. The Lord sent them forth to preach. Andrew has gone from being a seeker to someone who's a follower. He's now following Christ. But he was in a passive ministry where he was just sharing what little he has, but the Lord had to do it all, to now finally the Lord is sending Andrew on the active ministry. Andrew is now sent out on the active ministry. It's not what Andrew had that made the difference in the active ministry. The Lord never said, Andrew, I really need you. The Lord said, I will give you the Spirit, and the Spirit will give you the power. It wasn't what Andrew had that made the difference. It was what Christ could provide. Christ sent Andrew to preach. He was just a humble man without much means, but he has learned to share what he has, and now Andrew has a message to share. But along with that humble message, Christ gave Andrew the power of the Spirit. Now we will focus on Andrew and the miracle. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now I'll do a quick read. We've still got a long program today. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew specifically, says unto Jesus, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. 
And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come to make him king, by force uh, he departed again. The miracle. Andrew's experience with the miracle. We are to bring our problems and even our inadequate solutions to Jesus. Andrew has nothing, but Andrew has a habit of bringing people to Jesus. Andrew brings a young boy to Jesus. Both Andrew and the young boy, through this experience, <coughs> they learn firsthand that Jesus can bless even the smallest and least significant sacrifice. Here, we learn that we as average ordinary people who have nothing and aren't really able to source substantial help from our acquaintances, we learn that here, in this experience, Jesus can bless any sacrifice, no matter how small. Jesus is not limited to what we have or what we are able to source. Jesus is only limited by a spirit of not trying, not seeking, not sharing, and not bringing our problems and inadequate solutions to Jesus. In other words, by not starting. Jesus is only limited by not starting. However humble, however small and insignificant your start is, the Lord can bless that. But Jesus is not limited by what you have. He is unfortunately limited by people who don't start. Andrew was just another helpless man, but despite his helplessness, Jesus used Andrew to work a miracle. And this miracle impacted on the young boy who brought the sacrifice. We just heard of a miracle here today. It lives within those people who were affected by that miracle, this young boy. Andrew, who brought Jesus to that boy, he was impacted. But all who came to listen to Jesus on that day were impacted. Out of a potential disaster came a mighty testimony and a miraculous experience. People, the message of Andrew is bring them to Jesus. Bring the people to Jesus. Bring the problems to Jesus. Bring the situations to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Andrew and the Greeks. The Greeks seek Jesus in John 12, 20 to 23. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came before to Philip, uh, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them. What was the problem here? The Greeks. The Greeks. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus was inside the temple. And the Greeks wanting to hear Jesus had a problem. Now, Ellen White says here in Desire of Ages 622, The Greeks had heard of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Some supposed and had circulated the report that he had driven the priests and the rulers from the temple, and that he was to take possession of David's throne and reign as king of Israel. The Greeks longed to know the truth in regard to his mission. 
We would see Jesus, they said, and their desire was granted. When the request was brought to Jesus, he was in that part of the temple from which all except Jews were excluded. But Jesus went out to the Greeks in the outer court and had a personal interview with them. Andrew could not bring the Greeks to Jesus. So how did he solve this problem? Andrew brings word of the Greeks to Jesus, and in so doing, Andrew brings Jesus to the Greeks. Can we see that so far Andrew has been bringing people to Jesus, but now Andrew brings Jesus to the people. Jesus met with the Greeks outside. Now we as ordinary people, we can bring the strangers, the interested, the Gentiles who want to know more. We can bring them to Jesus, but you know what? Sometimes we have to bring Jesus to them. Now we'll read of Andrew and the end times. Mark 13, verse 3 to 5. And as Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Now what's the important thought here? Andrew wanted to know about final events. Andrew had a concern for final day events. And Andrew received from Jesus the revelation. But Andrew also received the caution to guard against deception. Now are we today the ordinary everyday people to whom Jesus has given the end time revelation message? In case you're wondering, it's in our name, Seventh Day Adventist. That is our message, the end time message. That is our message. Are we today instructed to guard against deception and warn our neighbors? It's in our name, people. Adventist. We need to focus on the end time message and take it to our brothers and sisters, and we need to warn them against deception. Now let's look at Andrew in the upper room. With one accord, Acts 1, verse 12 to 14. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode, and you can read there, 11 disciples aboded in just one upper room. And Andrew was among them. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with a woman. What do we read here? Andrew in the upper room. Eleven men stuck in an upper room. They all stayed together in what must have been cramped and uncomfortable circumstance. You know, by the end of it, Andrew had followed Jesus for three and a half years. Andrew had gained nothing. At the end of it all, he's here in an upper room with ten other guys, cramped. He has gained nothing. He left all. He left his fisherman's life to follow Jesus. He has nothing. But despite this apparent loss, this waste in the eyes of the world, Andrew valued unity and Andrew valued prayer. And ordinary, average, normal people should value unity in the spirit and we should humble ourselves in committed prayer. And then what was the reward for unity and commitment in prayer? 
Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Andrew is a normal, average, humble person. But Andrew's dedication in united prayer was rewarded, and Andrew received the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, I want to say, so can we. So can we. Even today. And we'll conclude with Andrew and the legacy. Tradition tells us now, this is tradition. This is not in the Bible. We've finished all the biblical references to Andrew. We know that Andrew was given the Holy Spirit in that upper room on Pentecost. But what happened with Andrew after that? We go to tradition. Now, I caveat it as it's extra biblical, so you can ignore this if you don't want to trust it. But church tradition tells us that Andrew preached in Thrace, in Scythia and Achaia. He then preached along the Black Sea and the Dnieper River as far as Kiev. And from there he traveled to Novgorod, preaching in Ukraine, Romania and Russia. This Andrew. This humble fisherman from Bethsaida preached all the way up into Russia. Andrew founded the Sea of Byzantium. Today we call that Constantinople, um, Istanbul. He founded the Christian church in what is today called Istanbul. Ultimately, Andrew is said to have been martyred by crucifixion. And Andrew did not want to be crucified like the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of being crucified with an upright cross... He went with the diagonal cross. Today we call it the St. Andrew's cross. Andrew. Andrew the man, or is it Andrew the man? You see, Andrew was just another man. He was just a simple fisherman. He was a simple seeker. He would invite and introduce people to Jesus. He had nothing else to share except his experience with Jesus. Andrew did not impulsively quit his job. You know, sometimes you see people, they get so caught up and they make impulsive decisions. This is not what happened with Andrew. Over time, the Lord grew his faith. Over a period of time, he responded to the call of Jesus. Andrew had few possessions, but what Andrew had, he shared with others to allow Jesus to minister to them. Andrew experienced the power of Jesus in him and he shared it with others. It wasn't Andrew. It was Jesus working through Andrew. Andrew had nothing to share, but Andrew will find the person who had the means to share. He would introduce that person to Jesus and Jesus could bless that humble offering and multiply it. You know what? Andrew was willing to help those separated by cultural, racial, societal boundaries. If the people couldn't come to Jesus, then Andrew would bring Jesus to the people. And Andrew received the revelation message and the message of caution that accompanies it. Andrew had nothing. But he knew he would receive all that he needed through prayer and unity in Christ. And Andrew received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And through him, the Spirit worked mightily. 
Andrew, just a man. Andrew, we are all Andrew. We could all be Andrew. We are all just man, male and female. We are mankind. We are just Andrew. We have no excuse. We can't say, I'm just a simple fisherman. I don't have anything. Yes, you're right. Then you're like Andrew. You have nothing. But be a sincere seeker. Start. Start. Be a sincere seeker. Be an active introducer. And with that, Jesus can work miracles. We don't need the instant changes. We only need a persistent and a continued experience with Christ. A linear progression in faith. Now, Christ may send us to our own family members. Christ may send us to our own communities and cultural groups. Christ may even send us to foreign cultures. But Jesus will equip us when He sends us. We as a church, have received the revelation message. We know how this world ends. We know the cautions against deception. We know the story to share. We know this. And all we need is prayer and unity, and Christ will supply in our need. He will provide the Holy Spirit. And we can go from being just a man to being modern-day Andrews, everyday people who introduce people to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus or Jesus to them. Andrew is me and I could be another Andrew by the power of the Holy Spirit. The ordinary made extraordinary through the Spirit. And my challenge is May 2020 be that year when we embrace being Andrews wherever we are. Just a man, but what a man. I don't know how we're doing on time, but I thought I'll... I'll play a small clip of someone who chose to start somewhere and do something. Now, while they're setting it up, I felt, oh, good, let's start. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee. And I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes. And so I started to think, you know, I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So. I was like, well, God bless, I don't know. And I was like, well, Philippians 4.13, I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I was like, that would be, be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee. And um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida library. You have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4.13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and say, hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? It's <laughs> like, no, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year, and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel, and football's kind of one of those things where it's you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And 
as I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And But I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And so we were blessed to win that game. And six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3, 16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida. I was like, Mom, Dad, I've decided to change the verse. And I'm going to go with John 3.16. And my mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. My dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because... <laughs> He says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious, it's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how you feeling? Your arm good, leg good, you ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, you know the verse I wear in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, I'm going to change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. <laughs> it didn't get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood. And honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And, some of you have been to Valley Who's now just sitting there eating a grouper and um, Coach Meyer gets a call and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, bye. And I was like, who is that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. So what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 3.16? <laughs> Hashtag Sunday school. It's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo Restaurant, just so humbled at how big that God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage or we just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime, and I run in and try to, you know, shower really quick and change, because I wanted to go celebrate with my family, so I'm going to run in to go and do my press conference really quick, because I love talking to the media. <laughs> And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? And I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy, it's exactly three, three, not, three years from the night you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize during the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Googled John 316, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform.
just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't, because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more, because the God that we serve is a God of miracles, as we're going to hear today. And it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us. And I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God, I'm going to give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread and watch what he does with it. But the God we serve can do pretty awesome, amazing things. So I just felt that's a very relevant uh, clip because he was born in the Philippines. Do we have anyone from the Philippines here? Yeah, it's very relevant. He was born in the Philippines. He also dates a South African. He's engaged to her, actually. So it's very relevant. You know what I just want to say? Yes, obviously we're all not playing NFL. Obviously we don't have his platform. But then I was thinking, what would happen if I wrote John 3.16 on my face? Would I be a different person? You know, would, would the fact that I have written John 3.16 on my face maybe tell me I should perhaps behave a bit differently some of the times or all of the times? But you know what? I'm not saying go out and get a face tattoo like the Mexican Mafia. John 3.16, that's not going to change it. What I'm saying is if you've got John 3.16 on your heart, it will show on your face. And you can be that Andrew. Let's close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray that your church today will respond to the challenge. Respond to the challenge. The church has challenged us last year and they've said it starts with me. But how many people have actually started, Lord? How many people have actually started? We're in a new year. It's a time for new starts, Lord Jesus. And I just want to pray that your people, Lord, that they will be open to receive this message that it starts with them. It starts with them each individually. It starts with them personally. It starts with them starting with you, Lord Jesus. Come and see. And when you see, you will write John 3.16 on our hearts, Lord Jesus. You will make us a new being such that we can really start this year for you. This is my prayer in your holy name. Amen.